I don't remember when it was, but it basically came to the point where I said, like, if you guys get to a certain GPA, it was like a three, six, I'll get a uh, tattoo of a Thunderbird, our logo, like on my ass. Um, you know, people did lose their job, but he, before anyone lost their job, he took zero salary, which was, yeah, let's see this is where I'm going to get emotional. So like, that's fucking hard, dude. Like that's really <laughs> hard. That's not just like, I'm not prioritizing financials. That's fucking crazy. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to episode 26 of Just Slap Podcast, the pound for pound number one tennis podcast in the game. Your host, Stephen and Alex, and joined today by a very special guest. He is the assistant men's tennis coach at Dartmouth College, Mr. Riley Grossbaum. Thanks for doing this, bud. Yeah, thank you, guys. This is awesome. I, I love listening to your guys' podcast, and uh, yeah, I'm fired up to do this with you guys. Yeah, no, definitely. I mean, let's let's get a little update on the team. How's the team looking this year? Yeah, we're, uh, it's going to be fun. It's going to be such a fun year. You know, uh, Ivy's didn't compete last year, so uh, we got a lot of inexperienced guys, but a lot of hungry guys who are excited to compete and uh, to get out there and play dual matches. Four freshmen this year, just one senior. And uh, yeah, so it's, it's going to be, you know, a classic kind of up and down year with lots to learn, but also a lot of potential. And uh, yeah, who, who knows what this team can really do because a lot of these guys haven't been in this situation. And so it's going to be a wild ride and, and we're fired up for it. So we got ECACs, which is like the Ivy tournament coming up next weekend. So we'll play three Ivy dual matches. Yeah, it's, uh, it's going to be a blast. That's, that's going to be a Cornell, right? Yeah. Yep. Cornell's hosting this year and everyone's going up there. And it, I think, you know, this is my first time doing it, but I, a lot of the Ivy coaches are great. I've, uh, I've started to develop relationships with them. So it'll be cool to have the whole Ivy conference for men's tennis up there in one spot. And, uh, yeah. And, and everyone's been doing really well too. The, the three Ivy teams that made the, uh, the kickoff weekend all won a match, uh, all had a ranked win. And I was watching just before this Columbia is playing Tennessee right now and just took the dubs point. So there's going to be a lot of really good tennis up there and yeah, it's going to be fun. It's so, it's so crazy to watch because like Ivy league tennis has just been blowing up. I feel like in the last few years, especially like it's just, yeah. it just keeps getting better and better and better. And so you, now you have like, how do you compete? Like you have some of the best academic schools in the world also now just absolutely killing it in tennis. And it's just, it's so fun to watch because it's uh, it shows that, you know, because you guys are in scholarship, right? Like Ivy League tennis isn't scholarship tennis. I mean, you get financial right. aid, but yeah, it's it's all it's all need based. So, like Dartmouth promises to cover all the costs that uh, the family cannot afford. So, even though these schools are like eighty grand a year uh, to go to, each of them uh, has a yeah financial aid set up where families fill out uh, information and based on what they can afford, the university will cover it. So it's great for kids with, with lower incomes. Um, and then obviously the kids with the higher incomes, the families can usually afford it. So uh, no scholarships, which does hurt us sometimes, but it's cool. It gives everyone an equal shot here. So. Right. Yeah, no, yeah, definitely. I mean, I feel like, I feel like for a lot of kids growing up that want to play college tennis, you kind of, you kind of, you know, the, you know, one of the big goals is like, Oh, like, could I, could I get on an Ivy league tennis? Now, if you're like me and Alex, you know, uh, 
uh, academically speaking, maybe uh, maybe we wouldn't make the cut, and probably <laughs> tennis wise either. But uh, definitely um, tennis wise, it, no. it makes it makes sense. It makes sense why uh, Ivy League tennis has gotten more and more attention uh, these last few years. And and really, I, I feel like now you're starting to have teams like like what's like Colombia's rank? Like are they like top ten uh, yeah, right now well, in, in the country? This year tough because we didn't have Ivy season. No, no season last year, but in 2020, right before COVID, yeah, I think Columbia was like six or something. They've made national indoors before, and so they were super high-ranked. Harvard, we had that year, 2020, there were five Ivy teams in the top 25 at one point, uh, including Dartmouth, and uh, yeah, so five of the eight, and the recruiting is strong in American classes. I mean, the 2022 recruiting class ranks just came out by tennis recruiting, and they're five Ivy teams in the top 13 national rankings, including Dartmouth and two of the top three. It's just, yeah. So it's, it's going up uh, and it's, it's fun. It's a good time to get in and be a part of it. And uh, yeah, it's, it's going to be a blast. So I think, I think a lot of, uh, a lot of people would love to know kind of your story, how you got into the sport, how you got into coaching tennis and, and what led you to Dartmouth. Yeah, I can go into that a bit. Uh, I grew up in a ski town in Idaho, uh, Sun Valley. Both my parents are, uh, you know, they really love skiing and headed out there and uh, just fell in love with the place. And they're, uh, they're, they're, I call them ski bums, but they're really high functioning ski bums. You know, they work all day and, and take care of their shit so that they can go skiing. And uh, yeah, so I, I grew up in that environment, small town, not much tennis, uh, you know, low-level recreational tennis Idaho as a whole you know not the greatest but um actually fun fun fact is Mats Wielander moved there so we do have we do have one really big tennis name yeah Mats Wielander and his kids grew up uh with me one of them was on my high school tennis team um but it's a it's a beautiful place just doesn't have that much access to to high-level tournaments and things so uh I started I was just I'm a I'm a bit of a sports nut and I just love playing and competing at whatever and Soccer was my primary sport and I was at a summer camp and had a gap, didn't know what to do. And some of my friends went over the courts uh, and were doing like a tennis block. So the instructor said I could jump in to try it out. And all my friends, this was, we were like 12, all my friends were like, the instructor's feeding the ball and my friends are hitting it over the back fence. You know, and then the instructor's yelling at him like, go get that ball and they're running around and they're in the line saying like home run derby. And I get up line, the instructor's like, okay, first time, like hit it in the blue space. I'm like, okay, like just kind of bunt it into the blue space. And all of a sudden I'm like the highest performing student in the class because I'm not trying to hit home runs every single at bat. <laughs> uh, and so I thought I was good at this sport, you know, like I didn't really know, but so I, I was like, all right, I could do this. And, uh, you know, had the discipline as a 12 year old to just bunt it around for a lot, uh, for a long time. And at, at 12, that works well. Uh, so I started beating people and I was like, okay, this is, this is fun. I like to win. And uh, yeah, stuck with it and, and ended up being one of the better players in my age group in Idaho, which is, is not saying much, but uh, one stayed a couple times in doubles and uh, you know, thought I was, thought I was really good. Um, not, not so much on a national scale. You know, I never really played tennis. I never played tennis outside of Idaho. So um yeah, my level was not nearly as high as I thought. I, I like to say on tennis recruiting, I look back, you can still see my record and stuff and historical highest rankings. And I was like, I think I just barely made the top thousand uh, for my class, for the country. And 
I, I thought I was, I thought I was really good cause I won state and, um, but anyway, so we'll, we'll get into that more, uh, how that <laughs> affected my path, but that's how I got into it and just, just loved competing, um, and was able to play in high school and, and love the team atmosphere. No, that's, that's amazing. But, and so when did you, I mean, how did, cause when you started at 12 and I mean, if you're going from, Oh, I you know, get it in the blue space. Um, how did your passion for the sport at, at that young age kind of develop? Because I mean, just for some context, Raleigh and I know each other from, uh, from, I think we trained for a couple months together at the, you coached me at the USDA and we'll talk about that, you know, for the dumb line, but you are probably the most, one of the most passionate people I've ever met when it comes to the sport and especially to the sports details. Um, yeah. So how did that kind of shape out through your younger, like when you started tennis and then, you know, obviously moving forward. Yeah, no, uh, I, I like to consider myself very passionate. I appreciate that. Um, and I would say, so initially, you know, I, I didn't really get much high level tennis coaching. Um, and, you know, initially I was like, take the racket back low on the backhand side and the forehand side, and like just, just a lot of just recreational, you know, I was playing at like a, a local park. And, uh, so without much information, I just, I just, kind of go into things wholeheartedly and I just wanted to be the best tennis player I could. So I took the information that I had and I hit the backboard like hours a day and, uh, you know, did everything I could to become a better player. And I was super passionate and, uh, kind of went all in and did all right. Right. But I, I had no clue really about anything with tennis. And when I was, uh, after my senior year in high school. So right before I was going to college that summer, one of my friends convinced me to go to a, uh, a tennis camp, uh, that was run by a coach in Boise, which is the bigger, the biggest city in Idaho. Um, and I went and I kind of, for the first time got like real fact-based physics information on how a tennis swing should look and be. And, uh, I just, my first thing was a little bit of frustration that I'd been spending like the last six years like grinding all the blood, sweat and tears and like, you know, was doing things that maybe could have been uh, done differently. And so I started to really learn uh, from this coach, Jim Workat, um, and uh, we'll, we'll get into the connections there, um, but uh, who had learned under Steve Smith at, at Great Base Tennis um, for a bit. And he started sharing some information and I just got really into it. I'm, I'm all about kind of the numbers and stats and understanding the physics of why you do things. And it was really kind of inspiring to have that in the tennis perspective, you know, something I was so passionate about and spent so much of my time doing, and then like understanding how to become better um, from a physics perspective. And uh, so I got really into that. And that's when I, I decided I wanted to become a coach was, you know, the influence that Jim Workat had on me, actually, not just from a tennis perspective. So getting really good information for the first time, but also from a character perspective, he was all about uh, character and work ethic. And a lot of his teachings went well beyond the court. And so I really liked that. And I actually wasn't, I struggled with some things as a, as a kid uh, and he helped me become like a much more, a, a much more mature adult at that point. Um, and so I just wanted to kind of give that back and also share the information uh, with these kids, you know, I get so motivated when I see passionate kids, especially ones that maybe don't have information, um, or the best coaching. And I just want to help them, 
Uh, so that, that really drives me a lot. Uh, so yeah, uh, I'm sure I'm going to ramble a lot more here, but basically <laughs> that that's what started it. Um, and I think I was fortunate to have some amazing mentors that made the game so fun and were such great people. Jim Morcat being one of them, my, my high school tennis coach, uh, Vicki Johnston, um, was also just like, you know, an amazing life coach. And she had some difficulties with family and deaths in the family and just like always had a great attitude and, and was an inspired woman. So that helped. And then uh, Greg Patton at Boise state, um, if people don't know who that is like one of the most positive, upbeat, energetic people. And he's like, he's older now retired, but he, he just lived life every day. So like to the fullest. And so being around those three people specifically, we're like, okay, if I can have the influence that they're having, on other people, then, uh, you know, I'm going to be leading a good life and be enjoying myself and having an impact. So all of that kind of combined with the information to, uh, to make me want to be a tennis coach. So, and that, then that happened before college, because, you know, if, if I'm correct, you decided to volunteer, um, cause you, you obviously you played tennis, you know, since you were 12, you kind of decided you, you know, you were contemplating the, the college tennis path, right. Um, and you wanted to, to be involved in college tennis um, while you were at college, but you decided to, to volunteer um, or to be like a team manager right at Boise State, which is a great program. Um, can you talk a little bit about that decision to, to kind of yeah. instead of playing on the, the lineup uh, being more on a backseat position, but being surrounded by, by you know, uh, higher level, higher level tennis. Yeah. So that's, uh, yeah, it's not, it's not quite as nice as that. I, I think that's, uh, that would, that would paint me in a little better light, but basically what happened is I, you know, big fish, small pond, I won state a couple times. I thought I was good. And the coach Greg Patton at Boise state said, I mean, he told me like, you're not at the results that we're looking for. But if you come to Boise State, you can help out. And like, if you get good enough, you can play for our team. And, you know, I send those emails now to kids and I'm like, wow, this, you know, not going to make it. But, you know, he, he sent that to me and I thought like, okay, I can do this and went there uh, to make the team, but to help out until then. And so I showed up and, you know, a little bit of arrogance and, and ignorance is that I, I thought it was going to be good enough. And they were the last year I was there, they were number 15 in the country. And I was, you know, like I said, like 977 in the country for my class. So um, mm -hmm. I got there and was working my butt off and doing everything I could. And then to be around the team, I was, yeah, volunteering as a student manager, volunteer assistant, whatever you want to call it. Uh, learned how to string rackets so I could string rackets for the team and, you know, fed balls. Occasionally they'd like put me in a corner and I could be like a sparring partner, but uh, yeah, not that frequently. Um, and then some of the guys, there were some guys there, great group of, of kids that, uh, you know, I'd string rackets for them sometimes into the night. And then the next day they'd be like, Hey, we'll, we'll hit, hit with you for 30 minutes or whatever. And I'd do my hours on the wall. And, uh, so yeah, I, I mean, it's a combination, but I, I wanted to play. I always wanted to play. And I just thought I was going to be able to make that jump. And, uh, yeah. In the meantime, I was helping and trying to learn everything I could because I did want to be a coach after tennis um, as a mm. player. So that's kind of how that happened. And then I, when I realized, you know, the writing on the wall, I realized that that wasn't going to 
happen. I was not going to play lineup. Um, and so after a year and a half, I ended up transferring to a Division II school where I thought I could play, but uh, a little off on that too. I'm sure we'll get into, into that. But uh, so, yeah, that was my, my path with, with Boise State. And I got to meet a lot of great people there. So it was uh, really the start of my coaching um, in college, at least, or involvement with college tennis. Okay. And so, so what happened? In, so when you transferred over to Division II then, to that school in Division II, because Correct me if I'm wrong, though, but you were a bit of a double specialist there, no? I mean, you were yeah. state champ, state yeah, champ. You, you kicked, ass, you kicked ass in doubles there, no? So, uh, can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah. Um, so I transferred. There's a school called Ferris State in Michigan uh, that has a professional tennis management degree. So I could study. My undergraduate degree is in professional tennis management. Uh, which is super cool to me. And when I heard about that, that was really promising. And then the team is division two. So, and they were, you know, middle of the pack division two. Um, and so I got really excited and transferred there. Uh, I was fortunate that the coach let me on the team based on my results, but he had been told by this guy, Jim work at that. I was a hard worker and it gave me a shot. So, uh, you know, I moved to this place, which is better fit for me because it's, you know, I'm studying tennis and, uh, you know, I thought again, arrogant me, I thought I was good enough uh, to play. And uh, first day of practice show up and he has me play. There's 15 people on the team. You know, it's my first day. So I'm number 15 and he has me play the number 14 guy. And I lost 6-0, on the first day to the number 14 guy on the team. I was like, oh boy, like, wow, I, I really misjudged my level, you know, thinking I was going to play for Boise State. But uh, you know, I liked the degree program and, and I was on the team and I could train every day. And because they had that degree, they had a lot of really cool things like a serving ball machine, normal ball machine, a wall, all these uh, tennis gadgets and a bunch of undergraduate degree students who wanted to play all the time. So I just basically went to work. Uh, and I don't know that I would call myself a dub specialist, but I did after. Uh, so the first year I was there, we were, like I said, I was 15 on the team and the team was all right. Like, I think we had a sub 500 record fairly. Um, didn't make regionals or anything. And then uh, the coach there did a great job bringing in some really good players and the team got better. And uh, my junior year, we made final four of D2. And then my senior year, we made elite eight and we're two points from final four. And my senior year, kind of my tennis claim to fame is I made it into the lineup finally at three dubs. Uh, and I played for the second half of my senior spring, played three doubles and had a really good record and won my sweet 16 match and my elite eight match. And uh, mm -hmm. You know, it was a lot of struggle to get there, but honestly, it was all worth it uh, for those couple matches. And uh, so, yeah, I, I was dub specialist, but hard to say I was, you know, it wasn't like I was a powerhouse dubs player, even even at that point. But uh, yeah, incredible experience going through that. And the team obviously had great success. We won three conference championships and, and got to go to NCAAs back to back years and make final four, which is pretty unheard of for that program uh, for a small school in Michigan. Um, so quite a ride. Um, but yeah, it was, you know, I was late start and a bad start in tennis. So it was tough to overcome, but got to play a little bit at the end. So, so you always knew that you were going to coach tennis like that. That was always the goal. And that's what led you to go for, for, for that undergraduate major. Is that correct? Yeah, more or less. I'd say my, after my senior year in high school, that summer camp is when I really decided, um, but I had coached, you know, even when I was 16, coaching at the park uh, that I grew up playing at and stuff like that. So 
I would say I was, I was pretty confident I was going to have a career in sports. I wasn't sure what I wanted to be a pro tennis player and make enough money that I could just travel around the world after I was done with my career. But, uh, the backup plan was always, uh, coaching was always an option there. And it's interesting that you knew that at such an early age as well, because I feel like there's this <clears throat> a little bit of a misconception, especially for people that just, you know, when, when they haven't spent a lot of time, uh, in the sport where they think that automatically, if you are the best player, you will end up being the best coach. And, and most of the time that's not true. Right. Yeah. And it's, it's definitely, it's helpful to be a good player, uh, for a lot of reasons, but I, yeah, I, I think honestly, part of it was that I wasn't a good enough player. I knew I wanted to be involved in tennis. And when I realized I couldn't be involved at the competitive level that I wanted to as a player, I was like, well, if I start now, you know, I started late in tennis, but if I start coaching at 16, I'll be starting early as a coach. And so then maybe I'll have a much better chance at getting to a, a really good level. Well, this actually, it's, it's interesting because I feel like this, um, I'm, and I'm curious about this next step, like post post college tennis, and when you decided to, you know, actually start pursuing college coaching, because, I mean, almost nobody, at least from my experience, is interested in like, the physics behind tennis, the the details that no one really like sees. Um, so, when you have that kind of level of engagement and curiosity for the sport, you're bound to to kind of, you know set yourself up in a way where you will be an incredible coach. And what I'm, so my question is, so post-college years, you know, you obviously have this fascination for tennis and you, this curiosity. So what was the, where did you go from there and how did you make decisions to understand the sport the deepest way possible or to be the best coach that, that kind of put yourself on this path where you can be the best coach that you can be? Yeah. Well, I mean, I, I just, I always knew that, uh, you know, I, I was going to have to go about it a little different route because there, there are a lot of players that are really good players that understand the game well from a player's perspective. And, um, you know, I think seeing the different information when I was uh, at that camp uh, in Idaho was really uh, revealing to me. And I just, you know, I, I think there's a lot of sports that do a really good job of coaching athletics um, mm -hmm. and technique and fundamentals and things like that. And I don't think tennis is one of them. Um, and so... Uh, you know, when, when you're looking at other sports uh, or, or other activities, just how people learn to be good at anything, um, you know, usually there's certain systems in place uh, and pathways. I think you, usually musical instruments are the best example. And uh, I just looked at tennis and it was, you know, it just wasn't that scientific. It wasn't that well done. Um, but this, you know, this guy, Jim Morcat introduced me to the great bass, which really is Know, very scientific looks at the basics of it and through that just this introduction of like tennis can be taught in a different way than it is now um and that just really clicked with me and so i wanted to learn everything i could uh, about this great base system and uh, this guy steve smith who runs it um and you know i just i just really want to be the best coach i could possibly be and still want to um and yeah, I, I knew that learning those things would be would be really helpful and, you know, understanding people's swings and why people are better at tennis than others. And um, yeah, there's also a book called The Talent Code that really influenced me dramatically. Uh, anyone listening who's looking for a good read, uh, that's 
I'm actually listening to it again right now um, and I've had tons of players listen to it. It just, it, it uh, explains how the body learns skills. Um, and once you understand that from a physics and a, uh, you know, neurological perspective, it's, it's really motivating to try and learn every little bit you can to make it uh, as clean, as perfect as possible. Um, so yeah, I, I just, I like that aspect and uh, yeah, so I'm, I'm just pursuing that, still pursuing uh, learning to be a better coach. So did you go to, go ahead, Steven. No, I was just going to say like, I, I've, you know, we, we've been around a lot of coaches and, and it's always interesting to kind of understand their different philosophies and, and something that I've noticed for coaches at pretty much like all different levels, pro college, amateur, um, <clears throat> you tend to see the coaches that have the most success almost have developed this sort of student mentality. So basically what I'm trying to say is like, in order to be, you know, one of the best coaches, you almost have to be one of the best students because you're always learning, right? You're, you're, it's because there, there's a two way thing here, because if you are a really good coach and you think, you know, everything that almost stops you, right? So let's say you do reach a little, like some high level and you have some coaching success. A lot of, I feel like a lot of people there tend to think, okay, like now I know everything. So now I'm always the person that has to always be giving the answers when reality, I feel like the coaches that I've seen that have had the most success are some people that are very curious just by nature and are people that never stop learning and never stop growing. And that ultimately attributes to their success as coaches. Would you, would you feel that the coaches that you've seen that you've kind of looked up to growing up uh, have also kind of had that similar mentality or, or no? Yeah, I think some, yes, some, no. Um, I think, and, and some in, in some areas, but not in others, you know, I think some coaches get really good at, you know, the technical side of the game or the uh, motivational side of the game or whatever it is. And then they, you know, they're still learning the other sides of the game. You know, there's so much uh, development going on in tennis right now with, from a physical perspective, you know, learning how the body works a little bit better, uh, conditioning and training. Um, and the mental side is still so undeveloped. So I see a lot of people that are still very open to that, but maybe are setting their ways a little bit on, uh, you know, whatever they've been teaching for the last bunch of years. But I, I think you're spot on. I mean, I think the best coaches, uh, you know, there's a confidence that what they're doing is right. Uh, but then there's also the curiosity and the desire to always learn. Um, I think just the, the, the beginner's mindset of, you know, there's so many possibilities uh, versus the, the expert mindset where like, I know everything and I've, you know, there aren't very many possibilities. There aren't anything need to explore. So uh, I think you're spot on with that. And I, I think that's, it's really tough. You know, the more you learn, the more, you know, and the harder it is to become, to stay with the beginner's mindset, which I've definitely fallen into at different points in my career. But um, you know, there's just so many people out there who know so much more than myself and all of us uh, at different segments of tennis and of life. So there's just so much left to learn always in different areas um, if you're open to it. What do you mean when you say you've like, so when are the times where you fell into that, where you kind of maybe had some experiences with, with, you know, a certain individual or groups and then went on because you've, you've moved around a bit. Um, so when have you fallen into those traps and when, how did you identify that you were falling into those traps? Yeah, I would say at Southern Utah, which, uh, you know, I know we'll, we'll talk about, uh, and we can start now, um, where I, you know, I got, uh, got my uh, first job was a head coaching job in division one, uh, which is a, you know, a blessing of course. Um, but I also, you know, I came in, 
and had a beginner's mindset in so many things uh, about that whole aspect, you know, never been a college coach before. Uh, but I felt really confident with my understanding of how to make a player better at tennis. And specifically, you know, like, uh, well, I'm sure we'll talk about the, the things that I could have done better uh, there. But, um, you know, working with people that were, were helping out assistants on the team at Southern Utah, uh, guys that were finishing their degree that had played on the team but didn't have eligibility. There were two of them. And uh, they had a lot to offer. Um, in different aspects than what I had, but they didn't know the things that I knew. And so, uh, you know, I think one of my big mistakes there was I, I had that. I was like, well, I know what I'm doing. This is how I want things run. And, uh, you know, I'm a young coach as it is, you know, I got to be careful with how much I take on from these players and how much I'm just like, this is, you know, my word goes. And, uh, yeah, I kind of forced them to, to teach my way and they didn't know it initially. So I like limited them severely on what they could teach. And, uh, you know, there was one day where one, one of them, uh, you know, I had a bunch going on and I was like, like, you, you got it. You can run practice today. And he actually ran like a great practice, very physical. The guys were intense and moving and doing bands and good physical work. Um, and I remember watching like, damn, this is, this is good stuff. Like I haven't done any of this because I've been focused on the things that I'm good at. Um, and there was a little recognition there, but, uh, you know, I would say the most recognition of that was after looking back and being like, yeah, like I, you know, and then also being an assistant now, you know, seeing like, there's so many different sides of it, but, uh, you know, just reflecting back on like, did I give my assistants, the people that were there to help me the most, uh, you know, autonomy to do what their strengths were, even if they weren't the things that I was strong at um, and weren't the things that I would do necessarily, but they were good stuff. Uh, they were good things. So um, I would say for a little stretch there, uh, just not as open to, you know, someone's feedback on, you know, from a technical standpoint, because that was my, my strong suit, technical and tactical. Um, yeah. Can we... Can we just also, because since we started talking about Southern Utah, can we contextualize this whole situation? Because this was, I was, I was, so I was a part of this in, in some way. Because um, you were part, at the big US. Part. I don't know about, I don't know about big, but I was, I was definitely there. I was watching you. <laughs> I was watching you through this, through this process. But so you were at the USTA and I remember, you know, I remember we, you were kind of thinking about going into college tennis and I was, I was a college, I was a freshman at the time. Well, I just, I just finished freshman year. Right. Um, and I remember I was like, you should definitely do it because college tennis is amazing. And Steven, this is hilarious because Raleigh was literally like, all right, I, I, you know, I, I think I want to get into college coaching. Um, and you applied for volunteer jobs. You apply for some assistant coaching jobs and correct me if I'm wrong, but Southern Utah, you saw that they had a head coaching job available and it was the only, like the only head coaching job that you applied to. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It and was the, uh, yeah. Cr crazy. Uh, only head coaching job I applied to. Yeah. <laughs> only head coaching job I applied to. And it was the only paid division one position I applied to. So uh, division one, I was strictly applying to volunteer positions. Um, and then like D2, D3, assistant coaching positions. Um, yeah. And then I, I was in Utah at the time and was uh, with a buddy and having a blast. I'm a, I'm a mountain guy uh, at heart growing up in the mountains. And um, yeah, the job position came open 
and I saw it and I was like, that would be like, that would be sick, but like, you know, I'll throw my resume in and yeah, I, I didn't think I had a chance at that at all. Um, and, and to be, to be clear, you, you were a big part of that. Uh, I think it's important that the listeners know, you know, there were a couple parts of that, which one was like, you know, when I was started to be seriously considered, I mean, I asked you and I asked the person who was in charge of hiring, uh, Sonia Hahn, who had been a very good tennis coach, coached at Tennessee and won a national coach of the year award. Um, and she was in charge of hiring for Southern Utah. And one of the conversations with her, I remember distinctly is I was like, like, you're talking to me still. And like, I don't feel qualified for this. And like, do you really think that I could do this? And she was, she believed in me. She was going to support me. And I remember talking to you and you were like, I've seen a lot of coaches, like I've been in college tennis and like, I think you can do this. And that was a big piece. Like I was considering, even if they offered it to me, not taking it because I was like, I'm not, I don't want to do something that I'm not going to succeed at if I'm not ready for it. And so you were a big part of it in that way that you, you gave me a lot of confidence. Uh, and then the other part is that if I'm not wrong, Sonia called you and you were one of my references. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah, she did. And it was, it was hilarious because, uh, when she called me, first of all, cause you mentioned it, you were like, Hey, do you mind if I like put you down as a reference? Just like, and I was like, yeah, sure. Absolutely. Like fully not thinking that, that anyone was going to call me about this. And yeah. then suddenly I get a call and you know, cause Sonia called me, right. Uh, is, am yeah. I correct on that? And Sonia yeah, called me and she sure. was like, she was like, um, She's like, hey, like I'm calling about Raleigh, uh, Raleigh, and we're you know considering, you know, you know taking him for the the Southern Utah, you know, head coach head coaching position, and I was like, you have to take this guy. I was literally, like, <laughs> I was like, listen to me, I'm playing college tennis right now, like you have to take this guy. That you will not. This is you know, uh, you are not making a mistake if you hire this guy. Like I know he's young, and I know you know he might not have any you know college tennis experience, but this guy is like he knows his stuff and you, you, you would be making a mistake if you didn't take them. So, I, I mean, I'm glad it worked out, you know, I'm glad, I'm glad that it happened, but um, yeah, I didn't, I, I, I wasn't expecting. Was a, no, I, I mean, I think that was a big part of it. I think you and a couple other references gave that kind of review. And I think that that goes a long way, you know, and yeah, I, I, I think that was a big part of it. And then the other thing too, is like, you've traveled the world a lot. And I remember, I was like, I have no idea about recruiting. And you were like, I know people, like I'll help. And <laughs> like, I was like, Alex was over here. Like, I mean, you were a part in so many ways of this process, which is funny because we, you know, we only worked together for like, yeah, a couple months. Uh, yeah. And, but it was like, you know, I think we, we, we understood, uh, you know, we, we vibed in the same way on tennis and uh, mm. yeah, you, you were a significant part of that. I, I remember we talked a lot during that time. Uh, and I still, I, I have a journal that I write in every day and, it recycles every, every year I see what I wrote the day that day previously. And every year there's a day in like mid June or early July where, where it's like, I'm so fired up. Like Alex said, he's going to help me recruit players from Europe. And <laughs> That's like, so funny. <laughs> well, you, you, you helped Alex a lot in doubles. I remember there was like a, I don't remember what season it was, but I remember Alex just became obsessed with doubles. Like he was like, he was videotaping every practice. Like he was looking at like different, like he was like, okay, we're going to poach here, but here, this is where we're going to fake. And he was like, he was, and I remember, I remember I was like, dude, who are you sending all of like the, these videos to? <laughs> yeah. I was like, who is, who is on the other side of these messages? Just like dealing with you right now. And, and, and you were the guy. 
Well, literally, I remember like I would take videos of of doubles and I'd send it to Raleigh and Raleigh would like respond with, you know, like diagrams and would be like, yeah. okay, like in this position and we'd break it down to like the second, like yeah. it would be like here, you have to move a split second earlier because you know that the ball's in this position and you know that they're not likely to hit it there because they don't have the angle. And therefore like you need, and it was just, it was a science. And that's, that's part of the reason why I think working at the USDA together, it was like, it really showed me a, like when I say like it showed me a different light or it showed me a different aspect of the sport, like I really do mean it because I have never gone into that detail before in my life when it came to both tactics and technique. And it was to the point where like, I, and I, I think, you know, you guys will agree with this, but tennis is a very interesting sport because I feel like a lot of people, and you mentioned this before Raleigh, but you're like, you know, a lot of people just are good at coaching because they can play. Right. Um, and so it's so easy to get by. Um, and I think what was super interesting about this is like, I heard you taught me things that like I've never heard before in my life that made so much sense. Like a, a distinct one that I remember is the volley. And the, with yeah. the volley, I remember, you know, you were like, you should change your grip this way just ever so slightly so that you save yourself a split second so that you can be more effective and efficient in, in all these different ways. And this is going to help you like, in, in this way and this way and that way. It was like, it was just, you took a tiny, tiny detail and you expanded it and exploded it into, you know, into so many different things. And it's like, wow, that really makes sense. That yeah. actually makes sense. And yeah. the hilarious thing is like, no one, like everyone's always like, oh yeah, continental grip, like just do this, boom, step, done. Like that's it. Yeah. But there's so much more to learn about yeah, too just bad, the too bad. things. Too bad Alex missed uh, missed uh, a floating volley on my last college match when we had match point. But yeah, maybe you could have worked on it with a, with him a little bit longer. Um, but uh, yeah, so so bad. No, I, so, I, wait, I have to I have to jump in and say because this is this is a, this is a good point. Is that's how I felt when I was in this camp after my senior year in high school. Is the same exact thing. It's like how, like no one's ever taught me this before, and it makes so much sense. And so, you know, I just got passionate about it and wanted to learn and then share. And so just so you know, part of this deal this paying it forward is that now you have to learn everything about it and become a coach and share it with someone else. Alex. Yeah. That's like, yeah. that's how this cycle that's, works. So that's I know how you're in Italy. I'm working on getting you a job there so you can teach some tennis. And soon enough, you'll be coaching college tennis and passing this along. But this, I mean, that's Who exactly knows? what happened to me. I, these same exact things that I taught you were things that I learned uh, from one of my mentors. And it was like, this is crazy. Like how, how is this not taught? Uh, it just makes so much sense. Yeah. I'm, I'm curious. Do you like that team environment that college tennis provides? Because you've obviously coached, you know, individual players and, 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 you know, you, you mentioned working at the USTA and I feel like it's, it's different, like managing individual players that have nothing to do with each other and managing a whole team. And I feel like certain people tend to like the uh, team one more certain people don't so um for you now that you've kind of done both wh what do you think you enjoy most as a coach yeah I, I would say the the ups of being on a team environment are much higher uh and the downs are also uh potentially much lower uh, or much more challenging i think the 
the tough thing of a team environment is you've got, you know, 10, eight to 12, uh, you know, guys that are 18 to 22 years old, uh, which creates a lot of interesting dynamics uh, <laughs> and a lot of conflict. Um, but also like a lot of like coming of age and learning how to interact. And a lot of them are, you know, I've spent their whole lives playing tennis and not socializing that much. And so there, there's some really interesting dynamics, which are incredibly challenging to navigate, but the upside of, yeah, the team environment during a dual match or even during a practice today at, at practice, just a couple hours ago, we have a, an inner squad match, you know, white versus green and guys are getting into it and like chirping each other as if they're opponents, but like in good fun and getting into it. And, and then the matches are just, I mean, there, I don't think there's anything you guys both, you know, are probably, I would guess in agreement, but there's nothing like a four, three or, or really a three all dual match that comes down to the last one. You've got two teams given everything they've got from the sideline, the guy on the court is like the pressure with the moment. And I mean, I, I don't think there's anything quite as thrilling in life as that. And uh, yeah, I mean, even like this is slightly delayed because I was Georgia was three all with Georgia tech and it was down to the last match. I was watching it on play site and it's just like, I don't know the emotional swings of tennis. And so for me, I, I would have to say team, uh, heavy on the team side in terms of the environment and what you can build in a culture. Uh, but with the asterisks of like, it's definitely more challenging at times as well to get that. No, absolutely. And I think what's interesting is, is that for tennis specifically, it's such a shock, right? Like when you do enter the college, uh, the college tennis world, simply because like you don't have any of that before. It's like, I, the way I almost look at it is, it's like it's nothing, and then it's everything. And you're because I was I, for, and I think we've talked about this before, but like, you know, there's almost like a depressing feeling where you're like, I don't, I don't want to do this because I'm only doing this for me. And that's the way I felt. And some people love that aspect of the game, but then when I'm playing and I see Steven, you know, slapping a winner and just, you know roaring on the other side it's it's like it's there's something that's so that is so i don't know it just, it's almost like a fulfilling feeling um and i think that's so important for all tennis players to feel um it's, it's just yeah and they miss it in juniors a lot i mean i think every junior should play college tennis i mean not ever yeah. like all except like the top two uh yeah. maybe but yeah. it's it's an i mean it's got to be as a tennis player i don't think there's any time in your life that's that's better than being on a college tennis team like those four years are uh, yeah it's, there's nothing like it so can we so can you talk about your journey at southern utah so obviously you, i think you were 25 right when you started coaching there yeah so 25 when you started coaching there so can, can you just talk about that whole experience i mean coming on as such a young coach um you know, obviously, like you mentioned, you had your strengths as a coach and things that you were implementing during practice. And obviously you made mistakes. I mean, can we really delve into that? Because <clears throat> that is such an, I feel like that's a very fascinating um, time of your coaching career. Um, and I, I, I'm really curious to see. So like when you, when you first went in, what, what were the first couple months like? What were the first few weeks like? How did you kind of uh, become accustomed to that environment? Yeah, it was it, literally, it was heaven for the first, like, yeah, the first 
three weeks, four weeks, first month was absolutely unreal. I still, same notebook that I mentioned earlier, like I, every year, there's a like three week stretch where every single day uh, in that year, 2019, it starts off with like another amazing day, like day six in a row. And I, you know, I got there and I, you know, it's a D1 head coaching job. So I was taking it regardless. Uh, and I not, didn't know anything about it. Um, I shouldn't say that. I didn't really know all of the aspects of it. Like I would have taken that totally blind. Don't care anything about the facilities. Don't care anything about the location. D1 head coaching job. Like you, you got to go for it at 25. And I got there and it's like in this beautiful place, Cedar city, Utah, and so close to Zion national park, Bryce Canyon national park, like just, yeah, it's like a heavenly place, like location. And then just getting to like interact, you know, and for me, everything was a bonus. You know, we, we definitely were one of the most underfunded division one teams in the country, but like, I wasn't used to anything. So I got there and I was like, wait, what? We have a travel budget. Like I get to book flights. I can like fly <laughs> recruits sick. in here. <laughs> yeah. I was literally like, this is insane. Like, we, uh, like I just buy balls and we can like buy string and like, I can, Oh, I want to play, you know, I want to play this school. I'll just buy flights for like 10 people and we'll fly across the country. Not, not really across the country and we're on frontier at Southern Utah. But to me, like, I literally didn't care. It's like, this is incredible. Uh, and I'm recruiting, I'm calling these kids that are like 17 years old that are just like me from when I was 17 that want to come play college tennis. And I'm like, putting together a team and like have scholarship money to work with. We had four and a half tuition scholarships um, and good international uh, academic aid. And so I, I've got these kids from like all over the world that I'm talking to. And like, yeah, I want to come play at Southern Utah. I'm like, this is you know, <laughs> insane. Like what? Yeah. Uh, so that was just incredible. And developing these relationships with these kids um, was, was really cool. Um, getting to meet everyone and just kind of build, build the team. Uh, and in the first month I ended up getting, I, I didn't have a lot of funds left. All of the funds had been allocated for scholarship uh, away. But in the first month I ended up getting two kids that played. One was number one who I knew from before. Um, and then another kid who played, uh, number three for us and both of them on, on, you know, were, were able to come, uh, without much help because of academic scholarships and things like that. And, and I really liked them both and just, yeah, starting to build this team. Um, there's so many avenues to go into, but, uh, yeah, I, I think the, you know, there are so many moments with these guys being a head coach, uh, you know, and I, I was so close to the situation they were in, uh, in terms of recency, you know, it was just five years before that I was them. And so I, I knew a lot of what these guys were feeling and going through and, um, yeah. And, and I was very different than some of my players as well. When I showed up, there were, there were five guys on the team, uh, and four of them were seniors and, uh, yeah, they were, they were different. I was so different from them in many ways, but you know, we're all tennis players and have gone through a similar journey in different ways. And, um, you know, there was a kid, I just, there's a million moments to talk about, but one, one of my favorites is there was a kid initially there who was a very, very good tennis player, um, who so many backstories, but he, uh, you know, had some issues with motivation and work ethic and, and, you know, but he loved competing and he couldn't get it together in practice to, to do all the things that I asked of him and was, would slack in practice. And 
got to the point where I would like, I suspended him. I told him the expectation, you know, all this and like this constant battle. And then I ended up kicking him off the team because he didn't respond. And, uh, you know, for the first time he kind of responded to that and was like in tears and like, please, like, I want to be on the team. Like just huge ordeal, uh, went to the athletic director and was like, I, like, I can't be kicked off this team. And I, I don't know what clicked, but eventually I, I actually didn't want to, I got talked into, uh, by the athletic director, giving him another shot. Um, and we put him through like a coach Carter type workout. Like, if you want to be on this team, like you got to do all this stuff and, you know, still, still had his troubles, but you know, for the first time I saw like how much he really cared about tennis, uh, which he, you know, didn't show for a long time. And so that was a really cool thing. And he ended up being one of the leaders on the team in a lot of ways come season. Yeah. He started low in the lineup and worked his way up and, Previous, previous coaches had just put him at like five and six because they knew he would win. And like, I moved him to four after a couple wins. And he was like, wait, what? I get to keep moving up? And I was like, yeah, you play the spot that you earn. And he ended up playing number two for us and was like one of the most passionate guys. And now he's a tennis coach, uh, not a college wow. tennis coach yet. Yeah, like crazy. And, That's and, um, crazy. Yeah. And, you know, maybe a college coach soon, like we've talked about it. Um, and we didn't have the greatest relationship even at the end, but it went from just this like hostile relationship to like, there was one night after a loss where like, some of our guys were like over it and were like joking around at dinner. And he was like, still like, you know, borderline in tears, you know, like he wanted to win so bad. And I was with him. I was like, I'm still heartbroken. And we drove back, got back at like midnight and ended up having a two hour conversation in the bus after everyone had left about like, you know, motivation and, and competing and all this. And yeah, he ended up confiding in me on like some things, like some personal things. And it was like, yeah, just, just such a cool experience. Um, and, and yeah, now he's a coach and he's like messaged me about a couple of things where it's like, Hey, like I just fixed someone's serve, you know, like the same thing that we did with my serve. Like I just did that. And it's like, I mean, I'm going to like tear up, you know, it's like, it's so emotional, the impact you can have. Yeah, absolutely. Them. I mean, we talk, we, we always talk about the tennis, but at the end of the day, like, you know, you, you could be, you could be fixing somebody's forehand, but you could also be like changing that person's life. You know what I mean? Like, who knows that 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 kid might not have ever wanted to go pursue being a college tennis coach at some point if it wasn't, you know, for meeting you and 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 kind of you taking him under his wing, so uh, or under your wing, I should say. So, I mean, it's it's uh, it's interesting, and also tennis is like a very small world. I feel so. It's like you you tend to you tend to know a lot of people, and and if you know if you know the right person, sometimes that you know a conversation can drastically change. You know where you where you end up. Yeah. For sure, for sure. And I love that. The tennis is such a small world. We're all connected. Literally. Um, did you, so as a, I mean, how was it navigating being head coach as a young player? Because you're not that much older than these guys. And I'm sure like part of the reason it might be difficult to, like with this kid, for example, right? Like I, I'm not sure if this was the case, but you know, if I'm a player and I don't work and I'm not a hard worker, at the at that point in my or that stage of my college tennis career and I have a new college coach and they're 25 years old you know it's you almost have to like earn their respect in a way so how did you how did you kind of approach approach that and how did you you know obviously differentiate yourself from them in a sense that you're like listen like I might be young this might be my first job but like I'm the head coach and this is what I'm doing and you know you, we have to do it this way and 
like how did how did you kind of earn their respect in that regard yeah um well i, I would say one thing is i i still am a work in progress you know i think i i because i'm close to the age of the players i you know i'm still a very social person uh and can sometimes be too too much of a friend and that's still a work in progress and it certainly was at southern utah um but you know in, in a lot of ways um yeah, I, I, I had respect because I was calling the shots. Um, and, and that was, you know, maybe the extent of it. Um, you know, I was, I was going to make the decision in the end of the day of who played, which I think helped. Um, you know, and I think part of the reason this kid didn't, it didn't have anything hit until he was kicked off is because he was like, I, you know, at the end of the day, I'm still going to play tennis. You know, like this mm -hmm. guy isn't, you know, I, I have to play. I'm one of the top players. And, uh, so I think that was a factor, but I, I would say that the number one thing was just the, the tennis information. Um, mm. You know, when I, when I tell, you know, it doesn't matter who it is. If someone tells you how to get better and can defend it with, you know, science and physics, then you, you pretty much start to listen if you want to get better. Um, and there were issues with that. We, you know, one thing about that whole time and about me still is like, I, I like to be different. Um, I'm willing to do what no one else is doing uh, even if that's risky. And, you know, there were so many things like that at Southern Utah, um, where we, we just did really different things. Like one of them was serving and volleying first serve, second serve, every point, every year in doubles, we serve and volleyed. And a couple of times someone didn't, either they forgot or they were like, no, nah, it's a big point. And I stopped the point and I gave it to the opponent. I said, that's not, we're not going to do that. We're serving and volleying. And initially that was not, uh, looked upon very fondly by some of the players on the team. Some of them, yes, there were a couple guys on the team which helped me. Both of our captains were on board, um, kind of on board. Uh, but, um, yeah, it was a huge staking point because some of these players who are, you know, good tennis players, they're like, I'm not – like, I can beat this team. And I'm like, I don't care. We're okay losing, but we're going to do it the right way, and we're going to learn and get better. Um, and we were – you know, struggled in doubles. We played the right way. We came forward. We set up points a lot. Uh, but I think at the beginning of our spring season, we lost a doubles point to a D2 team. And, you know, but the guys, like, by that point, it started, like, way back in the fall. Like, first day of practice, that was that was a thing. And the guys didn't like it initially. The fall tournaments were rough. Um, and there was even a kid who, like, hurt his shoulder and was still going to play but could only serve underhand. And he was like, I'm, you know, first point of the match, served underhand and stayed back in doubles. And I took the point away from him in a tournament uh, at Air Force. And he was like, coach, I'm serving underhand. Like, are you kidding me? And I was like, no, we're going to play. This is how it's going to be. Like, there's no exceptions. And uh, so what happened is they like, his and his partner figured it out. They hit this underhand serve. His partner would move. And they ended up making the semis of this tournament with an underhand serve for a guy who's like 6'3". And it was like a, you know, big serve guy. Um, and I, there was, I think there was one point where they were getting wrecked on the ad side in serving and volleying. Uh, and I was like, fine, you can stay back for one point. There was, I, I think those one or two points in the semis of the tournament, they ended up losing in the semis. But um, anyway, so the, the, the forward piece of that is that, uh, you know, we, we did poorly at the beginning, but by the time, like the last two matches of 2020, we won the doubles point against NAU, which was the, the previous uh, conference champion uh, without our number two player. Uh, so, you know, guys playing up. Uh, and then we won the doubles point against UNLV at UNLV. Uh, same thing without the number two guy. Um, 
And that I think, I mean, it was so unfortunate that COVID happened when it did. COVID happened right after that. It was our last match against UNLV. Uh, and the guys were really starting to buy in. And yeah, we were like dominating doubles, you know, and we'd miss a volley here and there. But I, yeah, that's a bit of a tangent. But anyway, the, the, you know, I think part of it was that we did all these unique things, these different things. And so, uh, you know, they didn't really have a choice. They had to do them. And a lot of them worked out really well uh, in the end. And so I think there was some respect from that. Um, yeah. And, and I think to my commitment and passion and my willingness to work for them and do everything I could for the team. Um, there was one thing when I came in, the GPA as a team was a two nine, which to me is, is not acceptable. Um, and that was one of my big movements. The first year was to switch that. And uh, I don't remember when it was, but it basically came to the point where I said, like, if you guys get to a certain GPA, it was like a three, six, I'll get a, t- a tattoo of a Thunderbird our logo like on my ass. Um, and that fired them up and they, they were into it. Yeah. And I, I was bet serious. it did. <laughs> and uh, so, so things like that, like I, I'm willing to put myself out there. They actually ended up getting it. Their, their, their first, first term was like three, five. And then their second term was like three, six, three, maybe three, six, three and three, seven, something like that. Like huge turnaround. Um, and one of the kids uh, actually ended up getting into a school because our program shut down during COVID. Uh, and one of the kids, again, one, one of the better moments, he uh, wasn't going to get into the university that he could transfer to. He got an offer to transfer and the university wouldn't let it, was like he wasn't going to get in because of his academics. And uh, he ended up being able to take one class in the summer and meet the, re- the requirement. But obviously he would not have had he not had a good year. And so that was big. And I, I still haven't gotten a tattoo. I do owe them. If any of them are listening, I owe them a tattoo of a T-bird on my ass, which uh, <laughs> I haven't gotten because of the, the ending of that uh, situation was, was really heartbreaking. And so I, I haven't gotten the T-bird yet, but it's, it's coming. Damn, the works. That is, <laughs> that is, that is crazy. Um, but, but can, so that's another, I mean, such a, such a roller coaster though right because i mean getting the head coaching job and then obviously building these relationships and and navigating this whole situation and then covid hit and the program got shut down can you talk about that whole part of the process and and how you handled it and and kind of what where was your headspace like move like where were you what were you thinking about and, and you know how did you decide where to go forward yeah. Um, you, you might, you let me know if I ramble too much on this. This one's, uh, this one could get long. Uh, but yeah, COVID happened. And, you know, my first thought is, okay, we're going to, we're going to make the most of this. This is a positive. How is it a positive? Find a way. Um, and I did a lot of recruiting. I built a recruiting website, which I was like still to this day, I'm in love with. Um, but, uh, and then I started uh, at Southern Utah. If you're a full-time employee, you can take classes for free. Um, up to nine courses or up to nine credits per term. And so immediately I enrolled in a master's degree at Southern Utah, which is something I'd always wanted to do, but knew I didn't have the time and COVID hit. And I was like, oh, this is perfect. And uh, yeah, I just like loaded up my schedule. Um, and, and so that initially it was a positive. I was getting my master's degree. 
I was, I built this website. I was recruiting like all day and night. I had a really serious girlfriend that uh, I, I kind of moved in with. Uh, she lived an hour away and I was working remotely. So, um, and she was a nurse dealing with COVID. So it was, it was an interesting time, but a lot of positives from my end. Uh, and we were, the big sky had a rule that you needed to have men's tennis as a sport. So we were like kind of chilling. We we're like, we're not going to get dropped. We're fine. I'm like halfway through my master's uh, in, you know, a summer um, of work. And then, yeah, like I think it was, I, I should know the date exactly, but we got a message saying like, we need to talk to you and the, head, the, the women's head coach and the, you know, got us on a zoom call and we're like, we're uh, dropping the tennis programs and like instant, like just like flood of tears. Like what, like this is, uh, yeah, like I, I may, I may tear up here. I get emotional at this point, but, um, yeah. Uh, so yeah, like we're dropping it and, and, you know, a lot of heartbreak. And then both the women's coach and I, who we've been through so much together at this point, Mike Mucci is at Jacksonville state now. Um, we, like went to work trying to, trying to reverse it. They said like that we had three weeks and like, then they were going to announce it officially. And so we're like, so if we can flip this somehow in three weeks, uh, you know, fundraise, whatever. And they were like, well, like, yeah, I guess, like, sure. And they ended up giving us a number that we had to raise, which was 14 million. I mean, it was 10 million. It was absurd to like save the two tennis programs. Uh, and they were basically, they were like, you need to have enough money where the interest, like you can basically, um, you know, have enough money where the interest from that money in investments would pay for the entire program. For both programs and they wanted an indoor facility we didn't have an indoor tennis facility um so anyway that that was a, a saga of like trying to fix it um and the president of the university was involved he was kind of the one who made the decision in the end um we had a meeting with him and there was like yeah lots of tears and uh you know i remember i, I told him he had said i actually really liked the president of the university um he had said when COVID hit that if anyone lost their job the first person would be him uh and that he would take no salary until, uh, until COVID was done. Um, and he followed through on that, you know, people did lose their job, but he, before anyone lost their job, he took zero salary, um, which was, yeah, let's see this is where I'm going to get emotional. So, um, the meeting with him, one of the things that I said to him was, I was like, I'll take no salary. We'll fundraise the budget for the year because the athletes, I mean, this was like July and the athletes, wouldn't have time to get on a team like they were talking about cutting the program immediately like so august the next month we would have no team uh and no season and the athletes would have nowhere to go uh and didn't have enough time to transfer and so i was like we need to have one more year so that these athletes can have a year of playing and contacting other schools so they can transfer and uh yeah so i was like i'll, I'll do what you did i'll take no salary and um, in the end it didn't work, but he, he really liked that. And actually it was a huge help because he wrote me a, a letter of recommendation and granted me full tuition coverage for the rest of my master's, even though I was no longer employed by Southern Utah. Wow. So that was like, <laughs> yeah, roller coaster. like, no, we're cutting the program, but like, yeah. Um, so yeah, so that, that was kind of the end of Southern Utah. And I had to, we had to tell our athletes, uh, which was like, yeah, like total tears the whole time. Um, so uh, move on past past that conversation. But uh, yeah, like, you know, just the guys who had committed to, to the program 
and then the program, you know, didn't hold up in a bargain. Um, so, uh, yeah, it was tough, but, um, you know, still keep in touch with, the, with some of the athletes. It's tough with the college rules. I can't really talk to them because of NCAA stuff, but, uh, you know, I follow them on Instagram and occasionally we'll get an update from them or, um, yeah. So, uh, I'll recollect myself here for a second. Um, but yeah, um, I mean, it's, it's, it's heartbreaking. It's, it's, it's heartbreaking. And, and it's, you know, a lot of you, you're seeing more and more programs. I mean, every year that are just dropping tennis, specifically men's tennis. And it's, 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 it, I mean, for us, we, you know, just like everybody else, like our season got cut short. And that was, I mean, that was my senior season and we didn't even get to play our last conference tournament. And that was like a nightmare, but I couldn't even imagine being a freshman, you know, getting on a team, being excited for like this four-year journey that you're going to go on and having it cut after, especially after all the work that you and the boys put in, uh, you know, leading up to it. So it's, um, but, but props to you and, and, and for, you know, for trying every single possible thing that you could have, you know, that you could do to, to save the program. I think it says a lot about you. I actually, I had no idea that you agreed to take no salary. Like I had no, I, I, one of the things that, that I respect most about you, I mean, this is like, because this is so hard to do in practice, but you don't prioritize financial like gain. Your financial yeah. gain isn't isn't a part of the equation for you. I mean, it's a part of the equation, of course. It's part of, a part of the equation for everybody, but that is like, it seems like it's the last thing on your mind. Um, and I mean, but that's just like next level. That's like, that's real. That really says something, you know. And and I, I actually had no idea about that. And that is that is that is absolutely amazing. Um, so, um, but once you, so. Once you were you able to you finish that master's and then you decided you wanted to continue in in college college coaching right college tennis in general um, and correct me if I'm wrong but you found a position in Georgia yeah or so yeah there, there was yeah I'll I'll go through quick kind of I was yeah the, the the program got cut and there was a lot of trying to decide like should I stay in college tennis is this really what I want to do. Uh, and it's July. So the this next year is starting and there's not that many things open and COVID shut everything down. So no one's really leaving. Um, and I ended up, you know, kind of like, okay, I'll keep, I'll look at options, kind of go back to exactly where I was a year ago, um, you know, applying to volunteer assistant positions of D1 uh, after being a head coach of D1 and then, you know, smaller positions for D2. And uh, there was actually Dixie State had a was adding a men's tennis team, which was an hour south of us, adding a Division One men's tennis team, um, which was something I was considering, like taking over. I was offered the associate head coaching position uh, for that program and get to run it. Um, I was offered that and uh, and the volunteer assistant position at Cornell, um, and. Uh, deciding between those two and and meanwhile too like this whole is going the whole thing's going on during the summer and i'm taking 50 percent of a master's program because i had signed up thinking i was going to chill all summer and then they cut my job and i was like okay i have to move i have to figure out what i'm doing with my life and i have to you know get a's in my master's classes um and so i ended up taking the cornell job so i was i was on my way to be a volunteer at cornell i turned down this dixie state position 
which was tough, but um, yeah. So headed to Cornell and I got to Chicago in like late July. Um, and is that right? Late July, so, something like that. I might, my dates might be off. And I got a call from the head coach who by the way is, is awesome. Sylvie, uh, tennis OU. Um, I still keep in touch with a lot, obviously Ivy now, uh, I get to talk with him a fair amount, but he was the reason I took that position is, uh, he's, a, he's a forever learner and is a great guy. And uh, I wanted to learn from him. And so I'm halfway across the country. I've already been working for them remotely for two weeks. And it comes out that the athletic department is on a hiring freeze because of COVID. And we had known that, but didn't think it affected me because I was a volunteer unpaid. And they, they were like, no, we don't want anyone else on campus. We don't care if they're getting paid or not. And so it was like uncertainty. And uh, the Dixie State position had already uh, been given to someone. Um, and then actually like two months later, they dropped the program. Uh, they were like, no, we'll, we'll start it in like five years. It's like, thank God I didn't take that position and then have like just exactly the same thing. But um, yeah, so I ended up, I was like, okay, I've got to keep looking like another like hit. And I was halfway across the country. It's like all my stuff packed up. I bought a camper trailer to live in because Ithaca is expensive and obviously not going to be financially stable on a volunteer. Uh, you know, there's no wages. So I bought a trailer for like four grand. I was going to live in a trailer in the parking lot of the Cornell tennis facility. Um, and like shower in the facility. Oh, there's a shower in the, in the trailer. Um, and so I had this trailer in Chicago and all my stuff. Uh, and then, and I had left my apartment and then it was like, uh, you probably shouldn't come to Ithaca right now. And I was like, fortunately, one of my best friends lives in Chicago. Um, and I crashed with him for like a month while this was all going on. I like couldn't, I didn't have anything. I was like stranded. Uh, and so I was like sleeping on his couch and doing my master's work and trying to find a job and all my stuff is in this trailer. Uh, and fortunately I got, I got connected, uh, to Georgia, which had a volunteer position open and it, it was ended up being like the best move that could have possibly happened, uh, really in a lot of ways, because Manny Diaz and Jamie Hunt at Georgia are incredible. And the program is, is, you know, one of the best programs in the history of men's tennis. Um, but yeah, there was a month where I was like, uh, just like really down in the dumps, like brutal, um, really longer than a month. But this month in Chicago was like really rough. Uh, didn't have, you know, like living on a couch and like didn't have a job and, um, my car broke down. It was like just everything, my bike, which I was riding to like, go check out other cars, like got a flat tire. It's like, I like just total mess. Uh, but ended up getting this position at Georgia, um, and kind of, you know, was the reason I'm still in college tennis for sure, because I was, I was close, you know, with my experience and my undergrad degree, I could get a job, you know, pretty easily making very good money in a very nice place, teaching country club and, but I, I don't want to do that or I didn't want to do that and uh, still don't. But um, it was very tempting to go that route. Just be like, okay, this isn't, this isn't the thing. This is too hard. Um, but I was very close. I was interviewing for jobs at uh, clubs and then Georgia came up and I was like, I can't turn that down. So I drove down to Georgia and that started, started my UGA saga. And then what was it like? I mean, because Georgia is, I mean, a monster program. Just, yeah. I mean, one of the, one of the, I mean, just a huge state school, huge, you know, a lot of funding. Um, 
I mean, one of the top programs. So what was it like being, being on a program like that? Did you, were there any like huge, like major differences where you were like, Oh, this is a whole nother ball game. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I mean, I, I joke and it, it may not be a joke. It could be true that I went from the highest, I'm sorry, the lowest budget D one program in the country to the highest. Um, we, I mean, Georgia is like, Georgia tennis is like top of the top. Um, you know, they, they hosted NCAs every year for like a stretch, best facility in the country for outdoors, uh, you know, for uh, six national championships. And the, just the whole Georgia operation is, I mean, athletics is huge. Um, you know, there were, we, we had two separate trips uh, where we chartered a private jet for the trips, you know, round trip private jet for the men's tennis team uh, in my year there. Uh, and financially, that one, the one individual private jet charter cost the same as my entire travel budget at Southern Utah for the year. Uh, and so, and I mean, yeah, big, big difference, um, you know, and, and that's what it is in the power, power schools, power five conferences with big time tennis. Um, very different, uh, for sure. Um, so that was fun uh, in, in a lot of ways. And Manny and Jamie are great. Manny Diaz is, is one of the best college coaches of all time. Uh, an absolute legend among college coaches. Um, and, you know, obviously brought John Isner in. He's been at Georgia for 40 years, won four national championships as a head coach, two as an assistant. Yeah, like had, you know, triple crown winners, people who won the team, team event, individual tournament and doubles tournament in the same year. And... Yeah, the, the amount of players that have gone through there and uh, what they've done, including Jamie Hunt, who was uh, a player for Georgia and won two national championships with them and now is their associate head coach. And uh, yeah, they're, they're kicking ass there, recruiting and, uh, and playing. Just won a big match against Georgia Tech for three. Let's go. Uh, <laughs> I, I, I still get fired up for them. Uh, you know, a lot of them, I still, I still know the guys on the team and, uh yeah so anyway did were you able to um i mean you go to a school like georgia were you able to kind of implement your coaching style during practices or at like or work with some of the guys and and do kind of the things that you specialize in but also that you feel like is important for tennis players to develop or was it tougher as a volunteer assistant coach to kind of or were you more on like the back backseat type of, uh, you know, did you take more of a backseat? Like, what was, what was that like? Yeah. I mean, definitely a lot less, uh, a lot less, uh, flexibility than when I was a head coach. Uh, but one of the reasons why I took that, I'm, I'm big on, I really like coaching and sharing what I know and helping players. And one of the biggest things whenever I look for a coaching job is finding someone who agrees with the way I coach and uh, I'll work well together with, um, and it's gonna be finding someone being, being a boss, being a supervisor, um, and somewhere where I feel like I can really help and do my thing, um, in addition to learning, obviously. Um, and one of the reasons why uh, Georgia was the, was the fit is because Manny Diaz was trained initially by Welby Van Horn, who is one of the mentors of Steve Smith, Great Base Tennis, one of the, one of the eight pillars of that uh, you know, system. Um, and so he, you know, he has uh, similar information in a lot of ways. And 
uh, you know, we talked about kind of what the program looks like and if I would be able to help and, and they wanted me involved. And so I would say I, I definitely took a backseat role for sure, but I did get to do so, a lot of things that I liked to do that I wanted to do and help players, um, especially lower level, you know, the guys that were not in the lineup. Um, and then eventually guys that were in the lineup, I got to help a little bit as well, um, you know, do my kind of things. Um, certainly there's, there's not the level, you know, when you've got Manny Diaz and Jamie Hunt on the coaching staff, you know, like you're not going to Raleigh Grossbaum to, to, you know, fix a forehand or whatever, you know, like that's, that's not a progressive progression, but I think, uh, you know, I, I did a good job in my mind. And I think Manny and Jamie saw that and the players saw that. And so I started to, to earn a little bit more trust and be able to do more things. Um, uh, there was a player who I spent a lot of time with, uh, Batista Salmo, who was number seven, uh, and made points in the lineup, but, uh, you know, really was our number seven and, and transferred now is at Oklahoma. Um, but I, I got to do a lot of work with him um, and spend a lot of time working on, on different things with different people. Not, not fully, you know, I, I'm all about like, if it's, if it could be better, let's make it better. Um, but there's also an element of, you know, if something's if a player's very good and a shot's working, you know, don't change it. So there's a, there's a balance there. Um, and when you're not the head coach, you certainly have to be much more aware of that balance. But uh, I, I guess long, long answer short is I did, I did get to do some stuff, um, which kept me going, uh, and share my opinions and do a lot of stuff with stats. Um, yeah. And, and contribute a fair amount, which was you know awesome to be a part of. No, that's, that's great. Um, and it's nice to see, I mean, it, it's like, I don't know how those programs are run, but it's, it's nice to hear that even huge programs like Georgia are, you know, it's a team effort and it's like everybody, everybody plays a part. It's not, you know, and to, to trust younger guys who, who are volunteers and who are passionate about the sport and to have, you know, for, for, for you to be able to work with the players. That's, I mean, that's, that's, that's a nice thing to hear. You know, it's, it's like, cause I feel like when you have so much money and so much on the line, really as a, as a and college all those as a, NCAA titles too, don't forget those two. Exactly. I mean, you gotta, <laughs> No, but you gotta, you know, you gotta, you gotta perform. And it's like, it's, I, I think there's a risk, right? Um, when the more people that are working, because th don't you also have like two assistant coaches, two volunteer coaches, one, you know, it's like a whole, I mean, I don't know about Georgia specifically, but I think that the amount of people yeah. that are allowed to be on the coaching staff at these schools is, I mean, it's huge, right? Well, so not, not quite. You are coaching staff is limited to three head coach assistant or associate head coach and volunteer okay. assistant. But what they have is they have a strength and conditioning coach. Like okay. when we went to NCAAs, we had, we brought, I think it was, we brought eight players and we had, or nine players and we had like seven or eight people like staff traveling with the nine players. And it's the three coaches. You've got uh, like a director of operations who actually didn't even come with us. Right. So someone in the office doing a lot of things, um, setting up flights and, and booking travel and things like that. And then you've got strength and conditioning coach who traveled with us. You have an athletic trainer who's at every single practice, goes to every single trip, uh, you know, like an athletic trainer for the men's tennis team solely. Um, and then you have a sports media person. Uh, you know, we traveled to NCAAs and SECs with a sports media person. 
And so it was, yeah, it's like a full entourage of people uh, and support, which is, yeah, it definitely allows the athletes to, to focus on their tennis and, you know, everything kind of happens around them. Um, yeah. Which is cool. Uh, but yeah, so, so the, the, the support staff is large um, and it is great. And, and I think part of it too, is I don't think it happens that way at every school, but Jamie and Manny are, you know, both just awesome in so many ways. And, uh, you know, and no surprise, of course, cause they're doing so well. Um, but their, their willingness to support and, you know, and always, you know, take things. And, you know, we talked about beginner's mindset and, and open to learning new things. And I've never seen someone, uh, who's, who's so accomplished, like, uh, so, so this is specifically about Jamie Hunt, someone who's so accomplished two NCAA championships as a player. He's like done amazing things at Vanderbilt as an assistant coach and associate head coach. And then at Georgia as assistant and associate head coach. Um, and he was like, so open to hearing my thoughts on, you know, X, Y, Z or whatever. Um, you know, that's not to say he took them all the time, you know, uh, but he, you know, he was like, yeah, what do you, like, what do you think about this? Oh, that's interesting. Like, what would you do? Or, you know, this and that, uh, which was, you know, obviously felt good for me, but also, you know, so much confidence in him making good decisions and being, you know, one of the best tennis coaches in the country in the coming years, because he's, he's like that. He wants to keep learning and keep getting better every year. So, um, yeah, I don't, I don't know where, where that started, but that's, that's where it finished. No, amazing. And then, so, and now obviously you're a Dartmouth. I mean, let's, you know, we got the, we got the green on, we got, we're looking good as well. Oh, look, at <laughs> look at that green. Yeah. Come on. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, so can, can you talk about, I mean, your experience at Dartmouth so far? I mean, like, what is it like, you know, being, cause you're assistant coach, correct? Uh, at the moment. So you're, yeah. you know, not, you moved past the volunteer. Now you're, you know, official assistant coach. Um, what's that been like? And what's it like been working with the Dartmouth guys? Yeah, I, I'm doing it in a weird order, like head, then volunteer, then assistant. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I'm hoping the next one's that. a head coaching job, but, uh, you know, we'll see. Maybe I'm back to volunteer. Maybe I'll end up being the team manager again. Um, <laughs> <laughs> we'll see. I'm trying to hit all the boxes. Um, but, yeah, it's uh, – so same thing as I said when, when talking about taking the job with with Georgia is like the first thing I looked for was, you know, someone, somewhere where I could make a difference, where I could coach and really uh, be involved. And uh, I actually wasn't sure if I wanted to leave Georgia or spend another year. Um, initially it was just going to be a one year thing. And then obviously, you know, run to the elite eight and just like what an experience. And uh, so I was definitely prepared to take no salary for, for another year, um, which would have been, you know, very challenging, but uh yeah, so I was, I was on the job market looking, but not convinced that I wanted to leave and uh, was prioritizing head coaching positions pretty heavily because, again, I want to do my thing. And a lot of the things I do are different than the norm. Uh, and so a lot of places, if I'm not the head coach, then I'm not going to get to do a lot of the things that are you know, maybe not what the head coach wants to do. Um, and this position came open and the head coach here, Xander Centenari, uh, we're actually in a mentorship group together at that time. Uh, the ITA had a, uh, had a trial run of this like coaches mentorship group. And so we were both in that. So I knew he was like all about ongoing education and learning. So that was a plus. And then um, he spent some time with uh, Steve Smith at Great Base Tennis, someone actually 
Dave Fish, the Harvard head coach for a long time, was his mentor and told him he needed to, if he wanted to become the best coach he could be, he needed to go down and spend some time with Steve Smith. And uh, so he did that. And similar to your experience and my experience, Alex, is he was like, why, why aren't more people teaching this? Like, this is really good stuff. Like, there's so much value here. Um, so he started to be pretty involved and learn a lot about uh, that system and, and understanding tennis from that perspective. And about this time, the, the assistant coach position came open and uh, he was recommended to contact me um, and vice versa um, by Steve Smith. Um, and yeah, so, so he, he uh, got on a call with me and, you know, we kind of hit it off. We think very similarly about a lot of things. Our, our philosophies are, are very on par. Um, and he was just getting into this great base stuff. A lot of the content that I share with you. Um, and he wanted to be, he wanted to be, uh, all about it. So, uh, I considered it as an assistant position, but I actually wasn't very high on it. Um, initially I didn't know anything about Dartmouth uh, other than the academic piece. I didn't know anything about the tennis. I didn't know anything about the Ivy league tennis. Uh, and I just, I think like most people just assumed that it was, it's Ivy league, you know, it's like academic and you know, whatever sports are there too, but like it's academics. And uh, I remember like looking up at one point and I was like trying to figure out how good they were. And I like looked up their rankings from 2020. And the first ranking I found was like Dartmouth 25 in the country, division one. And I was like, I like, I like refreshed the page. I was like, wait a minute, am I, am I missing something? Like I, did, I had no clue that this was a thing. And that was the ranking where, where there were five Ivy teams in the top 25. And I'm, I'm like, I've never heard of this. Um, and Cause when I was in college tennis, you know, and, and, and preparing to go into college tennis, they weren't that good. Um, and yeah, so I, I just, I started to consider it from a level standpoint and I was considering it from a, uh, you know, being able to work with the players and be involved and, and have a, a say and coach coach Xander is amazing in terms of like no ego to his decision-making he's open to feedback from anyone. And, uh, yeah, just vibed really well on that. And so, uh, took a visit up and fell in love with the area. It's this beautiful place up in the mountains, you know, not a big city, but so much to do outdoors and beautiful facility. And, uh, yeah, so, so ended up taking it, uh, taking the position and turning down, uh, an offer to do for an interview for a head coaching job that I was excited about for a division one head coaching job. I had to make a decision uh, whether to turn down Dartmouth and take this interview or, or go with Dartmouth. And um, yeah, I just, for a number of reasons, took the Dartmouth job and started in June. And um, yeah, I mean, it's, it's so different than, uh, you know, than Georgia and Southern Utah, you know, the academics, the Ivies, there's so many other elements, um, but I really like it. I think the, the athletes are incredibly hardworking and driven uh, and high achievers and very knowledgeable and understand, you know, can understand concepts really well. They take things on super well. And, and I think, you know, I think you guys doing this, you know, you guys made a joke earlier that, you know, you're not Ivy material and I would, I would put myself in the same category, but at the end of the day, it's all, you know, they're people that want to learn and are passionate about, about an education and learning to be, you know, uh, more intelligent and more knowing. And, and based on your guys' podcasts and, and all the conversations, you know, I think you guys fit that mold as well. Um, you know, there's a lot of people that just want to learn. 
Well, we appreciate that, uh, even though I don't know how true it is. But my question <laughs> is, um, you know, you've, you've coached all these different conferences and all these different teams. Um, what, like you, you talked a little bit about the academics, but what, when you take it as at a conference level, um, what do you think sets Ivy League conference apart from the rest? As far as like just in tennis or you mean academically Both. or? Both. Well, I mean, I, th I think one thing, the prestige is a big one, which I actually don't like. I, I don't like things being based on prestige, um, but certainly the prestige helps, you know, the, it attracts the, the most ambitious students. Um, and yeah, I mean, like the kids on this campus, every single one of them is a crazy high performer academically and scholastically. I mean, they are, they are on it. Uh, they've been, you know, on it since they were in middle school and, you know, they've sacrificed so much to be here. Um, and that goes for the, the athletes as well. And I, and I think that's true at all the Ivies. And so, you know, I think one huge difference is that the people involved, whether it's the athletes, whether it's the coaches, whether it's the support staff, like they're all, you know, there's a reason they're in an Ivy League role and they're drawn to this environment. And it's just a lot of really, really bright, high achieving individuals. Um, and that's, that's really cool to see, you know, these passionate people who are ambitious about, about education and about learning. Um, so I'd say that's a big difference. I think, you know, on paper, certainly the finances are different. The Ivies are not as supported by the university uh, in, terms of uh, in terms of athletics. Um, so a lot of the funds that we have are fundraised by our alumni and that's the same with all the Ivies as well, uh, which is, uh, it, honestly, it's really good in COVID times because, you know, most schools suffered so much during COVID because of the, the financial issues, but the Ivies actually, uh, funny enough, like that was a huge financial gain for the Ivies because they didn't compete last year in any sports, but they still fundraised. You know, it's not like at Georgia, you get, you know, however many, you know, millions of dollars from ticket sales uh, and, you know, football games don't happen. They struggle. But with the Ivies, it's all donor based, um, not all, but uh, a large piece. So, you know, during COVID, actually, the Ivies, like, that was like really helpful financially for the Ivies. And one thing that happened here because of that is during during the last year and a half, both the men's head coaching position and men's assistant coaching position at Dartmouth uh, have been endowed. So essentially a, you know, millions of dollars have been donated to forever pay for the salaries of both that, whoever the assistant is and whoever the head coach is during like this financial plummet of COVID. So, you know, one, it talks about the, you know, it speaks to the alum of Dartmouth and how much they care about Dartmouth tennis um, and also how, how successful they've been uh, the Dartmouth tennis alum, uh, you know, well enough to, to do that kind of thing during COVID. Um, and, and I think that's, that's true about other Ivies as well. No, that's amazing. I mean, it's you, I mean, the, one of the things that you, you mentioned, um, I think previously to me is that, you know, Dartmouth as well. I mean, isn't Dartmouth, the school that gets the most support from alumni? Yeah, it, well, so yes, on a scale, it's, uh, it's number one in the country uh, 
score on a, a ranking called Grateful Grads, um, which is put out by Forbes. And it's, it's essentially how successful and how much uh, students are willing to contribute back. Um, and so, so yes, to answer your question, but based on, you know, obviously there are schools with much bigger population that get more total money, uh, right, right. total donations back. But right. yeah, based on like average contribution per person, Dartmouth, uh, is number one in the country for alumni for, for grateful grads ranking, which has another a couple other factors, but essentially is, you know, uh, how much alumni are willing to give back to the university to the college, um, and that's I mean that to me is so powerful. Like mm. I I have a lot of gratitude for Ferris State, uh, my undergrad, and Boise State um, and Southern Utah, my masters, but I've never considered donating money to them. Uh, you know, like that, that to me is, is like, I have a little bit to my high school, which was a really special place for me. But the fact that people leave here and they think like, they are so grateful for their education and their opportunity and their experience here that they just want to contribute back to that for future students and are willing to do that to the tune of like billions of dollars, eh, millions of dollars, you know, cumulatively across the alumni board or alumni, uh, yeah, donations is, I mean, that is so powerful to me and says so much about the experience that people have here. Mm. Um, and it, you know, it's one of the reasons I could see myself staying here for a long time. Um, because people, people really do Dartmouth people love Dartmouth. Mm. Um, yeah, they love it. Um, yeah, I'll, I'll give you one more, one more example is, uh, we just became the fifth or sixth school in the country to become full need blind to internationals. So uh, now every international, we talked about the financial aid uh, piece, every international in the country will be, uh, will be given their full, what they need to afford Dartmouth. Uh, yeah. So I said every wow. international in the country, every international in the world. So they, they don't take that into consideration when they admit students, they admit the student and then give whatever they need to give. And that was like a, like, I think it was like an $80 million initiative, like where they were trying to raise $80 million to do this. And yeah, it ended with a, a $40 million uh, anonymous donation to make, to get this $40 million, some Dartmouth alum. Uh, and this was like just last week, this was announced that donation put them over the edge and now full me blind for all internationals. Uh, and just, that's amazing. Yeah, it's, that's it's crazy. that's insane. That's um, that's, that's yeah. really really good to see. Yeah, and it's supporting the the you know just the worldly environment of the area, and it's cool. I mean, there, it's crazy to me. You know, small town Idaho boy. Like, there are some crazy things happening here. Like, big time players and people. You know, big big moves. Like, Dartmouth is at the cutting edge of like changing the world in ways. You know, and it's. It's it's really cool to be a part of. No, I'm yeah. sure. And go, go ahead, Tim. No, I was going to say you're you're uh, you're. I know you guys had Fordham on the schedule, but the match was uh, I don't know if it was canceled or postponed. But uh, I actually wanted to come come for that one. But Alex, we got to we got to go got to go check out a match. No, absolutely. That'd be that'd be so much fun. Um, what I was going to ask by is the way, uh, on that on that note, we're going to be in New York. We play Columbia at Columbia uh, this year. Um, oh, really? if you guys ever want to come up here, I, I got a cool little house and you guys have places to stay for sure. 
as long as you wear green oh, in the match. <laughs> well, absolutely. Come yeah, on. Yeah, but now. coach, coach, green, green doesn't really like look too good on me, but I'll, I can make an exception for you. <laughs> I'll take it. I'll take it. We don't need to have the best looking fans. I just, I just want the greenest fans and the loudest fans. <laughs> oh, loudest is no problem. Loudest is no problem. Loudest, loudest we can do. Um, I'll put your guys' name on the registry for for our Ivy matches. There we go. Oh, I love it. Um, what's it What's it like navigating? I mean, because because obviously Dartmouth, you, like you said, I mean, I mean, it's such an academic school, but obviously you're also performing at a very high level. What's that balance like? I mean, is it? I'm assuming it's like no other. I mean, it's Ivies are in a league of their own in many ways. So how how is it? You know, how are the guys able to kind of balance that life? And as a coach, how, where do you put your priorities um, when it comes to your individual, um, you know, players? Yeah, it, it's definitely different, uh, much more different than I would have thought. Um, and it's, it's definitely hard. I think, uh, you know, there are challenges with the academic, uh, the academic involvement uh, and how much it takes to be really good. Um, really good student. Um, and, uh, our guys certainly don't get as much time on the court as, uh, or I should say some of our guys, there are some guys that, that get their shit done quick and get out of here, but, um, you know, they, they need to put invest more energy towards their academics than the normal college student or than the student at Boise state, Ferris state, Southern Utah and Georgia, uh, have in my experience. Um, and so, you know, part of that is just being really, really efficient with our time and trying to really hone in exactly what we want to do in the time that we have, um, you know, and, and having guys that are ready, you know, they've spent their whole lives. If you're playing tennis at Dartmouth, you spent your whole life exceeding, uh, exceeding in the classroom and, you know, being one of the top students in your class in every class you've been in and being one of the top tennis players in your academy in, you know, every, uh, every session you've been in. And so part of it is that our athletes, a lot of them are prepared for, to have this involvement. Um, and then the other part is just being aware, you know, and I'm still struggling with this. It's, it's thank God we have coach Xander. He played at Dartmouth. Um, and actually his, his story is cool. He went from being, you know, an under the radar junior played low, bottom of the lineup his freshman year and ended up being uh, an all Ivy athlete uh, playing number one and then having a four year pro career after. So like the development while he was here is pretty cool. Um, but, but thank God he's here because I, I think I would push these guys way too hard because I don't understand uh, yet. I'm starting to get it. And uh, you know, he was, he's been through it and understands better. And is like, you know, every, every week we have a conversation where I'm like, Hey, like we should, like we could push a little harder. And he's like, these guys need to be, you know, these, these guys are pushing very hard, like they're doing so much academically. And so that's a big piece is giving them being really in touch with them. And we're very, uh, we coordinate with them a lot and ask them, you know, where, where are you guys this week? Where are you specifically? How are guys doing? You know, have you, were you up till 2am last night studying for your midterm? You know, like, do you need a, a, a lesser involvement day? And the other thing that helps us a lot is we do, um, we work with a, a, this guy, Paul Drake, who's like a nationally recognized cardio, whatever, um, uh, guru, I guess I would call him a cardio guru. Um, and we send in our heart rates every morning, every athlete on the team sends in their heart rate and he measures them and compares them across, uh, their, 
previous heart rates, their average, and he messages us every day and says, you know, guys are good, or hey, check on this guy, heart rate's elevated, check on this guy, or this guy's heart rate's been elevated the last three days, he needs a day off, like this guy, don't push, you know, whatever. Um, so that's super helpful because it, it is, it's all about recovery and making sure guys are prepared. That's wow, super that's amazing. Interesting. I haven't, I haven't heard any other team doing that. That's, that's really interesting. Yeah, there, there are a few. Um, yeah. No, but that's, that's a kind of a focus that, that is, I mean, that's, I mean, yeah, like I said, I've never even heard of that. That's unheard, you wanna, that's unheard you wanna, of. You want to you you talk details. There you go. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. But Raleigh, I, I kind of want to extend beyond tennis because you are such a uh, unique individual. Um, and clearly, you know, just based on the things that you prioritize and prioritize and, you know, just the way you approach life in general, you know, I kind of want to ask like, what are some of the experiences, you know, and could, could involve tennis, could not involve tennis that, that have kind of shaped this perspective that you have, um, you know, uh, just the way you decide to live your life. Um, because, you know, obviously it's very difficult to do what you have been doing um, just because there's so many distractions that can get in the way, but you've had, you've been able to kind of, stay very authentic and, and stay true to what you, tr you know, believe is, is not only best for you, but, but also what's going to kind of help you the most in the long term. Um, which I feel like a lot of people don't have that self-awareness. So can you like, can you talk a little bit about some of the experiences you feel, and this is a general question and a big question, but some of the experiences that, you know, you feel like were key or played a key role in, in shaping who you are just as an individual? Yeah. Um, well, and I, I think I'll start with just saying, like, I think part of the reason this question is coming is because of the, you know, we talked about Georgia volunteering uh, for a year. And then also post-college, I spent a year uh, volunteering, doing an internship with Steve Smith at Great Base Tennis. And, uh, you know, at one point, two of my four years out of college were volunteer, making no money. And it was close to being three out of five if I would have stayed at Georgia. Um, and so I, I think that's kind of, uh, I'm assuming that's kind of what you're hitting on is like, why, why am I making these decisions? And what's, what's pushing me to be like making these kind of questionable decisions financially? Well, it's just, it's just a, I mean, like I said, like in tennis, it's, it's very easy to kind of choose or to kind of kind of hide this, um, you know, you can tell yourself, oh, I'm a tennis coach and I'm, 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 you know, help, you know, coaching these people, but, but then you end up, it's easy to go the financial route. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, but you're making, I mean, a difficult, you know, you're, you're talking about living in a trailer in the Cornell parking lot. Like that's <laughs> hard, dude. Like that's really <laughs> hard. Like, that's yeah. not just like, that's not just like, I'm not prioritizing financials. That's fucking crazy. Like <laughs> really in, in some, in many ways. So like, yeah. what are, I mean, and this is what makes you so special. And this is why I genuinely believe, I mean, you will be one of the most, I mean, whatever path you decide to go college tennis, not college tennis. I mean, you're going to have incredible impact on not only people's lives, but on just people's approach to the sport. Um, but like what, yeah, like how, <laughs> basically, how do you do it? And, and what are the experiences that, that kind of have, have, have shaped you to be this way? 
because it's amazing. Well, I appreciate the kind words and uh, I'd have to start with my parents. Um, this could get emotional too. Uh, but yeah, my, my, you know, I think there's so many people who are, there's an expectation from their, their parents of, you know, you got to get a job, you got to do this, you got to, you know, be successful by, uh, you know, society standards. And uh, both my parents are incredibly supportive, both my sister and I. Um, and really like it's kind of cliche i think a lot of people say it like really just want us to be happy um but like fully like do not care uh what we are doing in terms of like whether they can brag to their friends or or whatever um and and just really like push us each day to be doing things that uh that are going to make our day-to-day happy and our long-term life you know uh successful in a way of like making a difference and looking back and being grateful for the time that we've had. Um, you know, and, uh, yeah, I think, I think really that's the start of it. Um, is that I, I don't feel any pressure, uh, at least from my parents, from my family, um, from my friends to, yeah, make X, Y, Z amount of money. In fact, I feel pressure the other way, uh, where if I make a decision that is, you know, you know, this would accelerate my earnings or whatever. Uh, you know, I think I have, I, I have a pretty strong support system in place. That's like, you know, like, is that really going to make you happier? Like, what are you going to be doing there? That's going to make you happy each day. Um, and I think, I think, yeah, my, my parents living that life for themselves. Um, but then also supporting that. Um, and yeah. And then I would say that the other aspect of that is my mentors. Um, the, I've had so many mentors, uh, too many to go through. We've mentioned a couple, um, and you know, you don't talk to very many mentors and older people that ever tell you like, you should, you know, I, I wish I would have taken the more financially lucrative position. You know, it's always, I wish I would have done more or I'm happy that I did the thing that inspired me the most, that uh, brought me the most excitement and, uh, you know, I think everyone gets that information, uh, but I just, I really, I don't know. I took it to heart and, and I really just want to do the best that I can possibly do at whatever I'm doing. Um, and I, I'd say my work ethic is good and I'm, I'm incredibly uh, stubborn in that I'm not going to, you know, like I don't want to let that go. So when challenges come up, like I said, with the Southern Utah thing, like you're definitely, I was really close to kind of, giving up on the dream basically. Um, and, uh, got close there, but I I'm stubborn, you know, I was like, no, F that, like, <laughs> I want to, I want to do this. Like, I'm going to figure it out. I'll find a way. Um, and so I, I would say that's helpful. Um, just my, my stubbornness. And I also, I, I honestly, I really do pride myself on being different. Um, you know, I, I, I when some people call me weird, uh, or strange and I love it. Like, I take it as a huge compliment. I'm like, yeah, I am definitely abnormal. Like I, I do not want to be uh, what is normal, especially in, you know, in the United States, there's a lot of normal people who sit at a desk and, you know, work for the weekend and, you know, do their nine to five job and then go home and, you know, watch TV and go to bed. And, uh, you know, to me, I, I really, 
I like waking up every day and being excited to go to work. And if that means I'm living in a trailer in Ithaca, New York, uh, I'm like, I'll take it, but I'm going to be happy doing what I'm doing. Um, and yeah, I don't know. I, I, I mean, let me think about that more and get back to you in, in an email uh, or a WhatsApp yeah. message. But yeah. I, I really, I don't know. I, I yeah, I, I just love it and I'm excited to do it. And, and something is, uh, you know, I, I don't, I don't really know. I just, I want to be the best I can be. And I'm, I'm okay. If that means struggling a fair amount, you know, I've always kind of been okay with, with grinding and struggling. And I'd say maybe even I take a little bit of pride in it, you know, like I want to be known as someone who's, who's grinding the hardest, who's struggling the most, who's committing the most. And, uh, yeah, I, I would say I take some pride in, in that, uh, title, I guess. As you should, a, as yeah, you should, should take and pride. It's a, and it's a very, it's, you know, it's a very inspiring story that you have. And I also think that it's, it's something that's contributed to your success and will continue to contribute to your success because I mean, it's very difficult to outwork the person next to you if you don't love what you're doing and the other person yeah. does. Right. So you could right. be the most talented, gifted tennis coach, but if, you know, and you will achieve success most likely, but it, it's difficult to, to, uh, to catch up to the guy who loves it and is automatically going to be putting in more work because he enjoys it. So it doesn't feel like work. It's a, it's a huge advantage. So it's something that I think has led to your success and will continue to, to lead to even more success down the path. Would you say that now is the happiest you've ever been when it comes to your career as a coach? Mm, interesting. Um, I would say no. Um, and, and the reason why is that I think I'm now I'm, I'm maybe the most aware I've ever been of uh, a lot of things, but including personal things. Um, and uh yeah, just as you grow, you get more mature, you're more aware of kind of how life works. And I think when I was like, if I think happiest I've ever been, there was a uh, 2016 summer in Santa Barbara. Uh, we don't need to get into that, but, um, and then, and then the, the Southern Utah, like the first, uh, the, the whole stretch at Southern Utah. And there was a lot of that was just like ignorance is bliss. And I was just like, you know, had a, not a care in the world, like no expectations, just like, I'm going to go out and do the best I can. Uh, now I, I think I'm very happy and the, the excitement is there on a very high level. I would say that, uh, through the whole process, uh, you know, there was a lot of mental health concerns after Southern Utah, um, and even in through Georgia, um, that, uh, you know, it, it was very tough. And I think, uh, it brought a lot of things to light in terms of, of the mental health in the United States. Um, and really across the world. I think COVID as a whole has done that, um, which has been, you know, a silver lining. So I think, you know, I think I, I'm, I'm very happy here now. I think I'm not fully settled yet. Uh, I have a lot of work to do to get a friend group here that, that I really, on a daily basis, I'm doing stuff that, that excites me outside of tennis. Um, and, uh, and I think I'm more aware of, you know, if I'm going to be, uh, if I'm going to be the best version of myself, the, the things that in my life are lacking, like a work-life balance, uh, is something I've been told before, um, at Southern Utah, I had not a care in the world about that. 
uh, and was like under the impression that I could do what I was doing, you know, burning the clock, burning the, uh, the candle at both ends uh, for the rest of my life. And now I'm much more aware that like, I should try and, uh, you know, work towards uh, some life habits that are maybe a little more sustainable. Uh, and then also thinking down the road towards like a family and things like that. I mean, certainly at some point, the level at which I do this uh, is going to have to be balanced a little bit more. Um, and, and I think that trying to balance that has been, uh, has been a little tricky. And so I think I'm more aware of, of that and yeah. So a little less carefree now as I get older, but certainly I am very happy, uh, but in, in a different way too. And I think like I'm growing more and I'm more, you know, like to, to bring it back to a tennis analogy, like you've got the kid at 12 who like just won his sectional tournament and he thinks he's the best tennis player in the world. Uh, but he doesn't know that like his serve is, you know, that of a you know 12 year old. Uh, and now I'm like the kid that's 18. That's like, Oh man, like there are a lot of things that I need to get better at. Um, and so I would say that would be the same thing with my happiness. Like I, I was unaware of things that I, yeah, I, I you can take that analogy how you want, uh, but I'm losing my train of thought here a little bit, but I, I would say those are my thoughts on the happiness question. That's no. good, man. Listen, it's, 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 it's good that, uh, I mean, I, I genuinely believe you're, I think set up your life from what it sounds like to, to chase happiness as opposed to other things. And I think, I think that it's something that everybody should kind of strive to do. No matter what, not, what, what your passions are, what you want to do. Well, not only happiness. I mean, I think that like, and Raleigh, I mean, obviously we didn't spend that much time together, but like your goal and correct me if I'm wrong, right. But your goals are to be a specialist or to be like an, like one of the best in the world at what you do, because I think that you're an ambitious person and that is what you strive to be. You're always learning, you know, you're always looking to, you know, how can I, add to my arsenal? How can I always, you know, kind of contribute in a new way or, or learn something new that's going to, you know, push someone in this direction or help someone improve in this way. And, you know, even work, I mean, you were 25, even working with you for two months, that was felt, you know what I mean? That like came through right away. Um, so I can only imagine, I can literally, <laughs> I can literally only imagine what that's going to look like in five years, if not 10 years, 20 years. I mean, it's like, I can only begin to imagine. So, um, you know, I think what you're doing is, is absolutely phenomenal. Like truly. And I say that not only as like someone who, who knows your story and has just, you know, obviously heard about all these things, but as, as just, yeah, just, just incredible. Yeah. Now, not to mention, you're going to have a bunch of, uh, just slap subscribers, uh, maybe showing up uh, to some Dartmouth matches. So you better exactly. be ready for some rowdy crowds. Exactly. Um, but yeah, no, seriously, man, thank, thank you. Thank you so much for doing this. I think, uh, I think you provided a lot of value both to me and Alex, but also to, uh, to whoever, uh, whoever is going to listen to this. So we, we really appreciate it. And, um, you know, we look forward to, you know, following you and following your, your career and, and, uh, um, looking forward to seeing how the Dartmouth boys do this year. Yeah, yeah, I appreciate it, and and thanks to all the uh, Just Slap podcast uh, listeners <laughs> for who made it through this. If you're still listening, well done. Uh, 
that was a lot of a lot of story time and uh yeah obviously thanks for the support and uh also would throw a shout out i did a podcast um a great bass podcast which i know steven you listened to and alex mm-hmm. um and uh one thing that came out of it is i i think i need to work a lot on my speaking skills because i would like to do more of these and, and share more um so if any of you listeners uh have any feedback uh any thoughts i know uh not everyone's a, a podcast uh uh, guru, but, uh, if you've listened through this long, you probably listened to a fair amount of podcasts. And if anyone wants to shoot me a message, you can find me on, on Instagram or message me on, uh, on my Dartmouth email. Uh, cause I, I take some feedback. I'd like to become a better podcast speaker. And even doing this, I'm like, boy, that was, that was bad. That was too long. That was too rambly. Like I got to get to the freaking point. No, uh, listen, so anyone has any thoughts? we'll, we'll do it in person. And, and, uh, my only fear would be maybe, uh, Maybe maybe uh, put down a few drinks just to kind of <laughs> loosen it up, and maybe that might help. You never know. You, you said put down a few more drinks. Yeah, a few more <laughs> drinks just to, just to get you a little, you know, loosened up. But we'll do that. We'll do that next time. Next time we have you on, we'll do it in person, and uh, uh, we'll see. We'll see if that makes you ramble more or less. Uh, yeah, hopefully it's more. <laughs> I'm hoping more. I'm hoping more. Oh boy. Yeah. No, I, I like it. We'll, we'll do another one and I'll, I'll be an expert podcaster by then. And, uh, yeah. And you guys will have like 5 billion uh, followers. That would be yes. the number well, one podcast, yeah. right? <laughs> oh, well, no, no. Just to clarify, we are the pound for pound number one, right? So you have to, you have to take that into account. It's not, it's a, uh, you know, we, we're, there might be some, there might be some heavyweight tennis podcasts out there. We're, we're more like the featherweights, but you know, uh, but you know, pound, we, we, pound for pound. Pound for pound. We pack a mean punch for weighing uh, 145 pounds. <laughs> <laughs> wow. I mean, you guys provide good content too. I mean, I, I do think, you know, I talking to to Alex when you guys first started, like you guys, uh, you know, I, I would say the short, the short podcasts and information and funny bits, obviously this one's not so short, but uh, you know, I think, I think the tennis industry needs that and, uh, and, and have some humor involved. And I think you guys make it entertaining. So Hopefully you guys can grow the game of tennis and the involvement from other people. And yeah. Appreciate that, man. Appreciate that. So you, you guys heard the man hit the like button, hit the subscribe (laughs) button. All right. And make sure you follow, uh, follow, uh, follow the Dartmouth boys to see how, how coach is doing over there. Um, But uh, yeah, stay healthy, stay happy. And as always just slap. Take care, everybody.